So this is, uh, we started January um, trying to completely uh, remove the pun of 2020 vision. And so we had to, I was like, Will, as you make this slide, please don't call it Redeemer 2020 vision. We've got to call it something else. Everyone else is using that pun. Um, we didn't because we were so cool like that. Yeah. Now the, um, but this is a second message in what is really kind of like a vision series in the new year. Last week, we talked about who we are. Through Jesus, what does that make us? Like, it gives us a new identity, an identity that we don't have to work for or achieve. It's an identity that we've received. This week, we're talking about if that's who we are, then therefore, like, what do we do? Because if we don't do anything with that new identity, we're not really living out of our true selves, of our authentic selves. Also, if we're not secure in what we were talking about last week, being made new through Jesus, and all of what we're gonna talk about today is just aspirational. It's not stuff we'll actually follow through with. Or if we do, we'll just become very, very religious and cold-hearted, and that's not something we want to do either. Um, but I think really, what I wanted to, why I wanted to talk about what we do is because I think generally, we do a lot. Like not just like people who are helping like start up Redeemer, you guys do a lot, but just like we as a culture, we're doing stuff all the time. If there's any kind of illustration maybe for our life, it's something like this. All kinds of directions, all kinds of things. We have... Um, you know, our family's here, like church is here, we have a uh, partner here, career here, coffee there. Um, there's all sorts of things, you know, that go, you can see where my priorities lie. I think it's a great illustration of our modern, modern lives. We're always busy, but we're not really sure if like we're going in the right direction or if we're doing the right thing. And we feel like we're pulled in lots of different directions. We don't have enough time for it all. It leads to anxiety, burnout, and loneliness. Anxiety because we don't know if we're doing all the right things and if we're doing them well enough. Burnout because there's always more things to do. And loneliness because we're kind of meant for ourselves to figure it out by ourselves. And if we're doing this, who has time for other people? I don't have time for meaningful relationships. I gotta do this, I gotta do that. Nobody starts their life out this way. No one wants to live like that. But we all kind of drift there. And if we don't work against the current, this is where we're gonna drift. So let's, we're gonna talk today about an alternate way to live. Instead of doing more and doing it better, we're gonna talk about doing what matters and having the ability to focus on that. This would take us from this more sporadic kind of thing to something a little bit, hopefully, more like this. One good direction. I'm gonna try and remove myself from saying one direction because I'm just gonna think of the boy band every single time. One good direction. Now you all can't not think about it either. Uh, I ruined it. But what Peter teaches us in this, in this letter, in these, like, these few verses here, is this inner circle, this is us. This is what we talked about last week. This is who we are. This is um, who we've been made to be, like the true essence, like our souls of, of, of all the things we care about. And only when we're clear about who we are can we live a long life in a good direction and instead of sporadic lives in all kinds of directions. What God does is he gives us an identity that allows us to do that, but not only that, allows us to put all the things we care about in the right way. Because if they're all in different kind of ways, we're all gonna be pulled in different directions. So now it's one line, but it's made up of like, here's my family, here's church, here's career, there's coffee, there's whatever, there's all, all the stuff that's just, instead of all being different places, it's all kind of put in one line and it makes sense. And we all feel like we're going in a meaningful direction and our lives that might still be busy now feel like they're busy, but also meaningful at the same time. But instead of being overly busy, and wasting our time with meaningless endeavors, Jesus has rescued us from that and allows us to kind of live for what matters. When we're so busy wasting our precious lives, we talked about that last week using the internet as an example. The internet, what an amazing like, invention. It's, it's crazy. It's life like, we're using so many internet things right now, we don't even know about, like, we don't, like, it lives in our pocket through our phones. And what do we mostly use it for? We use it for cat memes and porn. That would, that's what we use this amazing thing for. 
I mean, I love a good cat meme, but and as good as Baby Yoda is, I don't want my life to be a metaphor of that kind of squandered freedom. Like, surely it's for something better than that. And Jesus has come to allow us to enjoy that kind of freedom. So last week, talked about who we are. We're not gonna really focus on that, but this real, again, this only makes sense if we understand who we are first. And what we're gonna talk about is really quite simple. It's how, what we say and how we live, our words and, and our lives. What we say, how we live. If you've been around Redeemer for any length of time, uh, you know we use the word mission a lot. It's big letters staring at me from the back there. But we don't want, it's good to use that word a lot, but we don't want it to become like some kind of empty buzzword that we say, we don't actually follow through with. Um, we, don't, we want it to actually still have meaning. So when we follow Jesus, we're rescued from living one way and to living a better way. We're not, we're not just rescued from living a better way and now you can live any way you want. We're rescued from living a better way to, or from living a bad way to living a better way. And this sermon is all about what mission is about. And the way we define mission, this is gonna come up a couple times, is this. Speaking the words of Jesus, aka that's the gospel, to those who don't know him yet. That's the words and the second part is being family to those who aren't in it yet. It's not up to us for people to surrender to those words. It's not up to us for people to embrace that family. That's not our job. Our, that's all of what God does. Our job is to just speak the words and be the family. And it's up to where the other people are at in their lives to see if they want to be a part of that. So that's what we're, that's what we're coming to. Um, first, let's talk about what we say. And this comes from verse 9. It says, uh, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Those are all great. We talked about that last week. And then here's the second part of verse nine, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So for those who follow Jesus, we were in darkness. Now we're in the light. We were nobodies. Now we're actually being seen as somebody, being given a new, a new uh, identity. We were orphaned by the world and now we're given a new family. And by the way, um, you see a little thing on the bottom uh, website there. If you have questions, redeemermcr.com slash ask. Uh, there were two really great questions that were sent in last week that are part of the sermon. They're, normally, the answers will be in the weekly email that we send out. Um, but uh, if you have questions, it might end up in the sermon too. So there you go. Uh, if you have questions, or if I don't answer your questions in the sermon, you can go to that website uh, and it kind of anonymously uh, enter questions in. But looking back at this here, uh, if this is who, this is us, chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special position, all that, then do we have any reason to give him praise? Does God therefore have any kind of words that he's trying to say to other people? Are we trying to clamp down on God, trying to keep uh, him silent by keeping our mouths shut? That's an offense to who we are because it's not who, we are people who are therefore are supposed to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into light. Notice that there's a reason there, that that, God's special possession that you may declare. So if you're sitting here today, one of the reasons God has rescued you is for you to be able to talk about God to others, for you to share your story of that rescue with others. It's not an add-on, it's not Christian plus, it's, very, it's Christian basic, it's the basic format you sign up to for whatever the thing is. Like if you sign up for Virgin Media, you get the, whatever the basic package is, this is basic Christian right here. What Peter is talking about here are words that are focused on God's work. It's not about seeing us as great, it's not about holding ourselves up, making ourselves look good. And the only way this can really happen is if we're honest with our weaknesses with others. And interestingly enough, if we're honest with our weaknesses with others and are about declaring the praises of God who changes us, our weaknesses are often where God works the most. So we can't really talk about where God is working in our lives unless we're kind of okay with talking about our weaknesses. 
I mean, please don't be another Christian that reinforces the idea that church is for people who are nice or that Jesus is for people who are good. That's the worst. How many times have I talked to somebody and be like, I don't know about this Jesus. He seems like he's only good for people who are good. Like, that's the opposite. None of it, nobody here is nice or good, like by ourselves. Like, Jesus is for people who don't have it all together. And may, hopefully we're nice and good to people, but ultimately we know we need Jesus' help for that. It's kind of like, all this I think of, if you're a Star Wars nerd and you found out like, the new Star Wars film coming out, you're gonna talk about it, you're gonna post about it on Facebook. You're gonna gather all your other Star Wars nerds and you know, have a little Star Wars nerd cohort. Um, or if there's a new album from a musician that you really like, or whatever the thing is, a new um, episode of a TV show, like Gavin and Stacy, oh, there's gonna be a Christmas special, oh, I'm gonna talk about it, because I love Gavin and Stacy. It's like 10 years removed, right? It's, um, uh, there's a, uh, this is kind of a little nerdy insight to my life, there's um, these French directors called the Dardenne Brothers that make, they don't release films very often, they've maybe done 10 films, and they're like 70 or something. Um, but if I find out they're making a new film and I find out also that's going to be released at home in Manchester, I'm going to call up Ross, who's a fellow Darden brother nerd, and I'm going to talk to him about it and we're going to go see the film. Like, this is what's going to happen. And this doesn't have to make us awkward. Like, I'm not going to all of a sudden only be like the Darden brothers guy who, when you're talking about like the fires burning in Australia, I'm like, oh yeah, but have you seen the new Darden brothers film? It's really cool. Like, that's, that's not how, but if I'm giving a way in, if we're talking about films, if maybe you're talking about the next Marvel film and I roll my eyes at such the, you know, the, um, and I'm like, well, but you haven't seen these, have you? Um, if we're giving away and if I'm talking about films, whatever we do in our spare time, um, or if someone's talking about what they're gonna do on the weekend, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna bring it up if it's a natural way for me to talk about it. The uh, professor and author, Elaine Scarry, wrote a little book called On, Being and, uh, on Beauty and Being Just, and she has this great line in it that has stuck with me. It says, beauty brings copies of itself into being. Beauty brings copies of itself into being. If we see something beautiful, we do our best to make sure other people see it too. If there's something we're excited about, we want other people to feel that same experience, to get that same kind of level of excitement. It's a level of bringing the copies of beauty in. It's like, you may have not actually seen the Mona Lisa in the Louvre, but surely you've seen reproductions because beauty brings copies of itself into being. And here's what all this is about. What matters most to us, what we see as most important, what we see as most beautiful, that's what we talk about. That's what we organize our lives around. So if we think uh, the best thing in life is a good career, a good house, and a good car, whatever the middle class ideals might be, being nice to people, etc., that's what we're going to talk about. And that's where it will end. But if Jesus has taken you from darkness to light, from nobody to being known, it will come out in some way or another. If your faith is important to you, it's going to have to come out in some way. And you don't need some kind of like specialized course on how to do it. Here's the 12-step program to talking about the person who you know really well about Jesus. Like you don't, you just need to talk about the stories of how God's worked in your life. I was talking to someone the other day uh, who was wishing that we had more guests on Sunday, which is great. A church can never have you know, more people, can never have enough people on a Sunday. I think probably a lot of you feel the same. But wouldn't it be great if we had more people here? That would be great. You know what? Nobody cares that we're here unless we invite them. Like, nobody will care. Like, they'll see things on Facebook. Oh, cool, you guys are um, at the, the Royal Oak. That's cool. Oh, see, you grew. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, sweet. No one cares. Nobody cares about a worship gathering here unless you invite them. It just, it would just will not, there's no reason for them to care. Why would anybody get up early on a Sunday to come to this? Unless you invite them. Nobody cares that we have a worship gathering unless we go. And I don't think we can expect any kind of change if we're not doing anything. We don't do that. We don't work that way in our life. Oh, I wish I lose five pounds. 
I'm not gonna work at it. I'm not gonna eat differently. I'm not gonna work out. But oh, I just wish I'd lose five pounds. Maybe I'll wake up tomorrow. Morning. Oh, no, stay the same. That's just not how it is. But a lot of us, myself included, maybe start sweating a little when we talk about using words because we don't wanna be weird. We don't wanna be the awkward Christian. We don't wanna be seen as like high and mighty. All those, all those fears that we have, I get it. I'm there with you too. Like I'm not amazing at talking about Jesus with others either. And I'm like the professional Christian, right? So we don't think we have the right words. We're afraid of unintentionally offending. And really, it's not that it can be awkward. We're just afraid of it being awkward. We're so afraid of it being awkward, we don't even get to the point of it being awkward possibly. And then also co- combine all of that with few people really think they're talking about Jesus enough as they ought to. And so it just ends up being like this massive guilt trip. So the less I think about that, the better. I get it, I'm there with you. Now, one reason why I think we have that reaction to what Peter is telling us about who we are, therefore what we do here, is we set the bar too high. We think we have to have some kind of like really polished theological discourse or some kind of radical story of how I was, you know, in like an opium den and somewhere in the Far East and Jesus, I saw a vision of Jesus and he saved me and then like that changed my life and I became a millionaire or some kind of very crazy thing like that. We have just some kind of like, we think we need these kind of radical stories and really we're just called to talk about our lives in very normal ways. And if you've been rescued from the darkness into light, as Peter talks about here, as anyone who followed Jesus has experienced, then surely there are some stories that come from that. And when those opportunities arise, you don't have to be a weird Christian. When those opportunities arise, just talk about them. But maybe a better thing to do is just for us to lower the bar. Like just keep that bar. Because having a high bar and not doing anything isn't worth anything. It's a lower bar, if you actually do something, then that's worth it. So if the bar is like way up here, don't even put it here. If you think you can maybe jump over it here, don't even put it there. Put it all the way down here. You can't even see it. That's how low it is. You can't, even, you can't even look at it now. It's so low. So you can just do a little tiny step over. Just a little tiny step of what it could look like. And the e- one of the easiest ways to do, to do this is ask people how to pray for them. In my experience of doing that, I have never found someone who's offended or has unfriended me on Facebook because I asked them in person how I can pray for them. Like, it's just never been awkward, even though I'm, like, totally afraid of the awkwardness. And then when you ask to pray for them and they say what you can pray for, like, actually do it. Like, don't just say, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you, and then forget. Like, actually pray for them. Do the thing. And at some point, follow up. Ask them how that thing is going. Maybe as you're praying for them, uh, a story of your life has come to mind or something you've read has come to mind or a Bible verse or something and share that for, and continue to pray for them. It's such an easy thing. And that's not even, first of all, that's not weird. Uh, that's not awkward. And it's also a way, regardless of how they respond to that, it's a way for you to serve that person because you're praying for them. Now, here's what I think um, is the deal. We think evangelism is a problem because people out there don't care or don't really like, want to hear about it. That's not the problem. That's the situation. We know that's true. Okay, let's just accept. That's fine. Like, that's, that's what Jesus told it was going to be like. Maybe, they, maybe they'll get it. Maybe they won't. But here's why evangelism, evangelism is a problem. It's us. We are the problem with evangelism because we're not actually doing it. Mostly we rely on ourselves. And so we're never going to do it then. No wonder it doesn't work out because relying on yourself is just going to lead to a small life, which means we need to pray. We need to pray a lot because the Spirit is working regardless of our obedience or disobedience. So pray ahead of time for situations you've yet encountered. Pray against yourself. That's probably the one person to pray against the most. Pray against yourself because you know you're gonna get in the way. Pray for God to actually work, for God to speak. Pray for opportunities. And when those, pray for when those opportunities do arise for you to take advantage of them in a way that's loving. 
And I would love to hear stories about what it's like in that. Not stories of like people, you know, blinded by light of Jesus and they come to faith and right there in the middle of the office. I just want to hear stories of people like what it's like to share their lives with people. That's what we're called to do. We should celebrate that. That's obedience, regardless of how people respond. Now, this is something that we're called to do. And we're actually deficient in our own lives if we don't jump into it. Because there's something else going on here. For those who follow Jesus, it's actually really good news that we get to share good news. This isn't like a horrible thing. Oh, man, I'm so glad I have Jesus, but gosh, got to say these really awkward things all the time. It's really it's a drag. I know it's actually it's a great thing that we get to do it. Why is it good news? Because when we align ourselves with God and the words that we speak, what we get to do is we're joining God's mission in bringing heaven to earth. We get to do that in, the, in just sharing our lives very simply. We, we, we say all the time, we, we sing and we pray all the time in Manchester as in heaven. When we use words of sharing our lives of how God's bring, brought us out of darkness into light, what we get to do is join God's mission here on earth of him remaking this world, of him remaking people that we love. It's not that we have to do it, it's that we get to. Who else gets to be involved in something like that? What an amazing thing for us to be able to do. But in the moment, we don't think about that because we're too busy thinking about ourselves, how selfish we are. We're the problem with evangelism. But through what Jesus has done, he's freed us from that kind of selfishness and fear. And he gives us a new life. And one of the reasons for this new life is to join God's mission in the words that we use. So when we aren't using words, what are we doing? Are we really trying to stop Jesus' work on earth? No one would ever want to do that, but it's kind of what happens when we don't. Our lives, if aligned with him, will be part of that prayer in Manchester as in heaven. Now, we do all this not because we're super passionate or not because we're super great or we're super like, coherent or whatever. We do this because we are missionaries. It's who we are. If that's who you are, it's what you do. I mean, you, everyone who is part of Redeemer, who uh, doesn't work for the church, everybody else minus me, you are full-time paid missionaries by secular organizations and care of whatever about Jesus. There is a company that pays you to do what you do, to be a full-time payment. You know how missionaries that I know that are um, scraping and praying and like trying as hard as they can to get into hostile Christian countries, the, their ultimate main goal is to have a life like you, to get paid by a normal job, to live with people who you wouldn't have normal contact with otherwise. That's being a full-time paid missionary by people who don't even you know, know what they're doing, which is great. It's exactly what you're doing exactly the place where you need to be. So you don't have to um, you know, do something that feels really spiritual in order to like, follow through on this. In fact, like, everybody is where God has them to be right now. So we join God's mission with what we say. We also join his mission with how we live because talk by itself is cheap. And surely we've known people, um, maybe we've been those people ourselves, we're wrong with ourselves, that say all sorts of things and don't actually follow through. Um, so that, let's talk about how we live because we don't want to just talk about just words because a lot of the rest of this is therefore how we ought to live with our lives. Um, how do we live in a place that's not our home? We talked about last week how this is a, a letter that's written to immigrants. And if we are reborn through Jesus, this is not our home. So we don't live like the way that people who are not reborn like Jesus live. We live differently. And there are two kind of categories that Peter lays out here. Um, abstaining and indulging. So things we don't do and things we do. And let's just kind of remind ourselves of that working definition of mission. Speaking the words of Jesus to those who don't know him yet, being family to those who aren't in it yet. And what that means as far as being family, first, it means abstaining from bad. Uh, verse 11 says, Dear friends, 
as Peter writing to his audience, also writing to us, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from simple desires which wage war against your soul. Abstain means not just to not do, but it means to avoid contact with. It means to, to be distant towards. Not to like get as close as possible you can, but to basically be really super far away from, to give like the cold shoulder. Unlike what everything out there would say, do what you want to do, you deserve it, who has a right to tell you otherwise. By the way, all those messages all come from people who are selling products that make you want to buy them. If you buy into that, it's basically just like you're just buying into consumerism. You are the product in that way. And surely we're called for something more than that. Abstaining from sinful desires, though, is good for us because these desires, Peter says, they wage war against our soul. They are destructive. They leave us deficient. If it waged war against our faces, we'd totally get it. We wouldn't do that. Like, oh, I want my face to look as good as it possibly can. Um, this is what I have to work with. I'm not getting, not getting any worse. I don't know how to get to do any of that. But they wage war against our soul. We're so image-focused, we don't really think about our soul very much. I th- um, there's a new Dracula series on the BBC. Have you guys seen this new Dracula? Have you seen it, Katrina? I haven't watched it yet. Oh, yeah, I've seen just the first episode. I love Dracula. I, th- I mean, the book is fantastic. I think uh, this is an unpopular opinion from Greg. It's a better... Uh, 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 metaphor of the Christian life than Pilgrim's Progress, by the way. It's, it's a f- fantastic book. Anyway, um, all that Dracula stuff aside, uh, I think it's a great metaphor for the Christian life because a vampire is what sinful desires are for us. They suck our life away. The vampire gets more strength, but we get weak. And, the, and, it, and there's like something enticing about the vampire to begin with, especially uh, in the new BBC series. There's like something enticing about Count Dracula. Um, but if he was here, I'd want to run away from him. I know what he's about. I know, like, maybe he's cool, maybe he can speak lots of languages, and he's, like, super debonair, I don't know. But I'm going to run away from that guy because I know he's going to suck the life out of me. I don't want the life sucked out of me. The same for our sinful desires. They leave our souls empty and desolate and kind of starving. So that's what we abstain from. There's also things that we uh, do. So we live good lives. There's some things we don't do, some things we do. Verse 12 says we live good lives. Verse 15 says it's all about doing good. God cares very much about the life that he's given us. He wants us to use it for good and in a way that most people are going to receive as good and understand as good. But who doesn't, I mean, who doesn't say, ah, live a good life, ah, hooey, I don't want to live a good life. Everyone says, of course, I want to live a good life. It's quite, quite generic, right? Um, you good? Yeah, I'm good. Yep, good. Yeah, be good. Everyone's all about being good. Here's what Peter, how Peter breaks it down in this kind of section here. These four things we're just going to quickly run through. Won't spend loads of time in because we're not going to be here for four hours. But first is giving proper respect to everyone. Second is loving the family of believers. Third is fearing God. Fourth is submitting to and honoring the government. Giving proper respect to everyone, loving the family of believers, fearing God, submitting to and honoring the government. So giving proper respect to everyone means not just saying we love people who come from LGBTQ backgrounds, but actually following through. There's a lot out there, especially in in the media, especially in Trollton, about how much we love people who come from all these kind of different backgrounds. But if you talk to people who have those kind of life experiences, it's not easy, and they're not loved very often. Regardless of, we're not even talking about morality, it's talking about human beings as they're meant to be loved. People who are homeless, how do we view them? Are they just objects to be removed? If you identify as working class, how do you view people who are middle class? Do you identify as middle class? How do you identify, or how do you work with people who are working class? City and United supporters. Maybe not everybody can come together. Um, But giving proper respect to everyone with our lives, not just in what we say, in how we live. Loving the family of believers. If we aren't being a good family to each other, why would anyone want to join in? I have one dysfunctional family. I do not need another one. 
I'm done with that. Fearing God. Fearing God does not mean be afraid of God. It's this the way that even the way the um, English translations, even as new as this is, kind of an old school way of talking about respecting God. The biggest way to maybe describe that is taking ourselves off the pedestal in our lives and putting God there. That's what it means to fear God. And lastly is submitting to and honoring the government. We're not always gonna be happy with who's in power. Sometimes we'll be happy, sometimes we'll be completely scared. I mean, think of Peter's audience. He's writing to people who were dying because it was illegal to be a Christian. They were being tortured, they were putting to death and being put to death. And Peter said, submit to the government. How can Peter say that? Because Peter knows that God's always in control over those who are in control. It doesn't matter who the PM is, what a small level of authority in the real like, grand scheme of things. It doesn't matter who the prime minister is. Like God is, way, is much bigger, has way more authority, is in control of everything. And he is on the real throne over our lives. And that frees us to be good citizens and also frees us to do good. And sometimes it's gonna be against the what the government has. Sometimes it's gonna be the case. In fact, the way that Peter talks, it says, uh, it writes, it says, we're supposed to live such good lives that though we're accused of doing wrong, they see how we actually live and they glorify God. They don't glorify us, they glorify God. Let's look at that, it's in verse 12. This is a crazy, crazy verse. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now the word pagan there just means people who are not believers yet um, for Peter there. Now notice there's assumption here as well. We're going to be accused of doing wrong. Are we gonna be accused of doing wrong? That's just, we shouldn't be all bent out of shape when that happens. That, that will happen. But it's also, it's hard to accuse someone when they're sitting across the table from you. It's hard to accuse somebody when you're actually serving them. And we're gonna be accused of being homophobic even though we love people who identify as LGBTQ. We'll be accused, accused of being small-minded and weak even though we spend time learning about our faith in our world. We'll be accused of being obsessed with heavenly things that were of no earthly good even though we help put on arts festivals, Christmas events, and help people get out of homelessness. We'll be accused, and that's okay, expected even. Also, there will be good that we're gonna participate in that other people will see as bad. And there's going to be a good that we'll be uh, expected to participate in, but we will not see as good. We don't, we don't bow to what the culture says. We bow to what God, how God tells us to live. We have a higher authority than that. And we're going to experience attention from that, and that's okay. Our, the goal is not to live a tension-free life. The, to, the goal for us is to have a life before God to whom we bring those tensions. And really, what stands over time is not false accusations. What stands over time is what we say and how we live. So let's live our, our good lives in such a way that people don't glorify us, they glorify God. Now this, even in our actions, means we have to use words. Because how are people going to understand that they should glorify God instead of us? Oh, that, that church, that Redeemer church, you guys do such great things for this, this, and this. You all guys are great, and they'll praise us for it. Like, it's actually, it's not us. Like, we glorify God because God is the one who is at it. That means we have to actually talk about this to others because no one else is gonna get that unless we tell them. No one's gonna understand why we do this or understand it's actually Jesus working through us unless we tell them. Words and deeds are not easily separated. You might've heard um, St. Francis of Assisi quote, preach the gospel always and if necessary, use words. Um, I, I think the, the sentiment behind that is great. It basically means our lives need to match our words. But the way I translate that is it's not necessary to use words. <laughs> You never have to use words. You can just live your life. And also, it doesn't make any sense because if you preach the gospel, preach is word-orientated. The gospel is a message that requires words. There's no way to preach the gospel unless we are using words. And by the way, St. Francis lived in 1182. That quote came around 1991. So do not believe everything you read on the internet. It's actually not St. Francis who said that. 
It was somebody who wrote a book in 1991. And then someone else later on, I think it was like 93, stole that quote and attributed it to St. Francis. And then, yeah. And then all of a sudden we get you know, these quotes from Abraham Lincoln about why the internet is great or something. So words and deeds are not easily separated. Uh, but our lives should match our words. And we're called to something, called to something big. This is not always, it's never easy. This is why Peter's writing this. Peter would not write this if it was easy. If it was like, hey, by the way, don't forget to breathe, otherwise you die. Like, yeah, we got that. That's easy to do. By the way, also do this thing. Oh, that's typical. And he's like, well, here, I'm gonna write more about it because it's hard. I think sometimes we think sin is something that's really good, but we shouldn't do. Like a chocolate advert, like it's sinfully delicious. Like, ooh, there's, um, there was some chocolate back there. Maybe it was like a little bit sinful to have. Or if you're part of Slimming World, you know, you have like a few sins that you're allowed to have. It's like, oh, it's really good, but you can have a little of it, but not too much. It's like, it's moderation, right? But really, sin is something unhealthy. Sinful desires are unhealthy desires. Unhealthy in that they kill us from the inside out. We should abstain from things that kill us. That's just my idea. Now, is it a good idea to take up a heroin addiction? No. It could be bad for you. It could be bad for your family. It could be bad for everyone like, that you care about. It could be bad for your, for your money, all sorts of things. We should live distant lives from heroin addiction. It's unhealthy in all respects. And nobody would believe a heroin ad campaign saying heroin is sinfully delicious. Like, no, it's bad. You'll die. That's bad to do. Don't do it. So don't believe the lie that sin is fun as something that's going to leave you empty. I mean, there is an enticement, of course. Sin initially does feel fun. There's a reason why we do it. But it's not going to end that way. We'll end up deformed inside. On the other side, we also think that godly living is really boring. It's like, what does that mean? A drab existence where you just kind of pray and you never actually enjoy anything. It's like this ascetic life where you know, your, your bed is super hard and all sorts of things. It's just no laughter or fun allowed. But that's not really it at all. Because if we're called to abstain from those unhealthy things, we're called to indulge in the healthy ones. It's like if all of a sudden broccoli and cauliflower tasted amazing, like a Snickers bar or something, the more we ate it, like the more healthy we would get. That's kind of like what this indulgence is like. Indulge means to go all out. Not just get a little morseful, fill your plate full of that broccoli that tastes like Snickers. To jump in completely. Not just a toe, but a dive. Unlike most ways that we indulge, maybe here or there, we're called to like indulge in the good life and the more healthy we get, the better our lives and the lives of people around us. Now we've been made different by God and because of that, we live different lives. We don't do some things and we indulge in others. Our um, initial community gathering last week, we talked about where we can grow as a church. Um, and uh, I told you that, you know, all the things that we put, there's a whiteboard that we put all these things on, and um, we're, I told you we're going to drill into these things, so here they are, into the sermon. Um, some of the things that came up was being known by others, spending more time being with each other outside of formal meetings, um, praying with others. All, these are all like big, massive points. It's not the first time I've heard these. We've all kind of said this from the beginning you know, a year and a half, two years ago when we started Redeemer as areas where we thought we could grow. But I think our church is at a point now where God is kind of pressing into these areas more than he has before. So if you want more people to text you, like don't stuff that feeling down, respect that feeling. Like that's, a, that's a, probably a valid feeling. You want to feel, you want to feel like you're being known. Um, but the way to follow through with that is to text somebody, to be that kind of person that you want someone else to be. If you want to have more time hanging out with others, eating dinner, walks, yeah, that's awesome, let's do that. If you feel that need, God has placed upon you a responsibility to do something with that. So don't stuff it down, don't pound about it. Ask to have dinner and invite yourself over to somebody. I'm giving you guys all carte blanche to invite yourself over to each other's houses. It's like, oh, sorry, Greg told me I had to. Um, 
If you want more people to pray, I mean, Josh and Rachel are a great example of this. They started a monthly prayer night for people in, in areas that aren't reached by the gospel yet. That's fantastic. That's great. Now, you don't have to go all out and start like a formalized thing. You could just um, message someone and ask them to pray for you or do the, op- the other side and just say, hey, how can I pray for you? It doesn't have to be a big, massive thing. There's really nobody holding you back. I think this is a good example of what being a good family to each other can be like. Things that we really wish the church to be. Um, because we're so small, the responsibility is on us all. And the great thing is, in, in, in a large church, it's easy for that to get lost. The advantage of being in a small church is we really feel that responsibility. Every church all has that responsibility. It's more easily felt when we're smaller because it's like less, more percentage per person, right? Um, but let's just follow through with that. How we act now will actually be how the church will be five years from now, 10 years from now. Like what kind of church do you want Redeemer to be? It's, it's up to all of us. And when someone walks into that kind of family that is okay and honest to be able to say, you know what, I just don't feel like this is working. Or I really wish someone would pray for me. Can you pray for me? Or like that kind of honesty and living. Imagine if someone who doesn't know Jesus walks into that and experiences that kind of life. That's, that's transformative. I wanna be a part of that. And I'm sure other people want to as well. So we're made new through Jesus. And what he does is doesn't rest on us on our, our volition first, it rests on Jesus' empowerment through us to live new lives. So we're empowered through Jesus and, and his work in us. And when we talk about what we do as God's sons and daughters, I think it's really easy to default to how the world works, make sure the outside looks good and spend a lot of energy ourselves to make it that way. But we don't do any of this on our own. We don't do these things to make ourselves better. Through Jesus, we've already been made new. We have all the newness, all the perfection stuff we want. We don't need to build upon any of that. Everything we talked about here is a product of that newness, kind of overflowing into different areas of our lives. And we get to live a different and better life. We've been made as new people through one person. And Jesus has brought us out of the darkness and into his light. He lives in the light. And as we follow him, we do as well. That means our lives are gonna look different. He's taken a bunch of isolated nobodies and embraced us as his new family. He loves his family. As we follow him, we do as well. Everyone here, we should all feel some kind of level of of this, but I'm not good enough. I don't add up. Like the bar is far too high. Of course it is. Of course. You don't add up. Like, duh, we all get that. Nobody here does. No one's here is that fantastic. You aren't there alone. We're all in that together. It's only through Jesus that we get to live this way. Of course it's only through Jesus. And only through Jesus that when we fall, not if we fall, but when we fall, he picks us up, dusts us off, and carries on with us. So we can be honest with our failings together because that's what makes a good family. A dysfunctional family is one that never talks about problems, especially like on a, a meaningful level. A good family is one that we can talk about our failings together because it's not about what we do. We don't have to rest our identity on that. It's not achieved. We, we've already received this new identity. It's about what he's already done for us. And when we live out this new life, the only way we're able to is because of his spirit working through us. This is how the passive work of receiving mercy comes into contact with how we live. We're made new, and with that newness comes the ability to live a new, different kind of life. Not from us again, from the spirit. The Christian life isn't one that becomes more independent over time. It's one that becomes more dependent over time. Sometimes we think like maturity means we, you know, we, we figure all things ourselves, out ourselves, which in some ways might be true. You, know, you pay your own rent, you get a job, you know, all the other kind of stuff. But the Christian life is one where it grows more dependent because we realize we can't really do anything by ourselves, not just on God, but on the family of God over time. Because Jesus, he indulges in us. 
He loves us with such a strong, fierce, and unstopping love. He indulges in us and spoils us with his goodness. He gives his all to us and he continues to give his all to us regardless of where we are with performing for him. If you've ever felt needy, Jesus is there indulging you with his gifts. If you've ever felt like you weren't good enough, Jesus is there indulging you with his courage. If you've ever felt lonely, Jesus is there indulging you with his presence. If you've ever felt anxious, Jesus is there indulging you with his peace. And the only way Jesus could indulge in us today was for him to go to the cross, for him to bleed out on his love for us on the cross. And the bread is a symbol of his body. that was broken for us, that we may never live broken lives again. But through him, we would understand how he's made us whole. And the blood, the cup, is a symbol of Jesus's blood that was poured out for us so we may live different lives and how we say and how we say things and in how we live. And with every drop of blood, there sings the song of Jesus' love for us. Now, to participate in this, you don't need to be a member of Redeemer. Um, if you live in the indulgence of Jesus' love, this table's for you. If that's not you yet, that's fine. Please don't come up. We don't want you to do something you know, with your body that you don't actually believe in your heart. But know that this is a world of possibility in Jesus to have this kind of love. It's for everybody. And as we come up, let's come with the joy of what it means to be the object of God's love. Have you ever thought about that you are the object of God's love? of how massively big and huge God is, all the galaxies and everything he's made, all the colors in the world that he's made, all the tastes we can have. And in all of that, it's just a theater to experience his love for us. What an amazing thing. So let's come up with the joy of what it means to be the object of God's love and how that allows us to live different and better lives. Not through us trying to be better, but because we know we have something so much better and that just can't help but overflow into all the parts of our lives. So I'm gonna pray in a moment and we'll sing, and as we sing, we'll come up and remember the cost it took for Jesus to win us to him. Let me pray.